Hey, Craig, I know you're uh, traveling today. Um, so let oh, me just yeah. see the wildest uh, travel story I've ever had in my entire life. Oh. Um, I had this, this opportunity eight years ago where I was invited um, to go to uh, Korea. And uh, my mom, who's an amazing soul, um, offered to give me a ride to the airport. And she said, uh, where are you going this time on this trip? And I said, I'm going to Korea. And my mom said, which one, south or north? And my mom is like super smart and I couldn't lie to her. And I said, mom, I'm actually going to both. And there was like this awkward silence. And then she turns to me and she says, can I come with you? I'm like, no, mom, you can't come to North Korea with me. And so I was on this expedition with a bunch of Americans uh, authorized to go to North Korea uh, uh, on a on a learning journey, and we land in Pyongyang, and there is like you know airport military all around us, and I just look at myself I'm like, holy, what did I just do? I do not have insurance to get me in case I need to get extracted out of North Korea. And it was like absolutely the wildest, wildest trip I've ever had in my life, and um, that that was crazy. I definitely did not have any extraction insurance. But I am uh, delighted to be here. My name is Kian Gohar, and I'm an insurance dude today. Insurance dudes are on a mission to escape being handcuffed by our agencies. How? By uncovering the secrets to creating a predictable, consistent, and profitable agency sales machine. I am Craig Pretzinger. I am Jason Feldman. We are agents. We are insurance dudes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> What what were you doing in North Korea? We were going on a, a people-to-people uh, expedition organized by an American organization here to learn about the history and culture of North Korea. And um, we got to see some, some uh, fascinating things. We got to talk to some local people. And uh, it was the wildest place I've ever been because it looks like nothing anywhere else on the planet because there's no advertisements, there's no billboards. So like when you're driving down the streets... Or walking down the streets, which you don't really do, it just feels like you're like in this like alternative universe that basically avoided all of commercialism for like the last 100 years. It's just yeah. a really, really bizarre place, and, and I was I was grateful that I got to go, but I, I was even happier to come back. That it's so wild, right? Like when you travel, you go like if you go to like I went to Portugal, everything's a little different, right? You go, I'm in Costa Rica, everything's a little, the plugs, you know, like the, the light switches, but there, like, think about it. Nobody's interacted or helped them besides Dennis Rodman. And, <laughs> and it's like, so which I, you know, right. So, I mean, it's interesting. Like they've had to engineer everything themselves, right? So everything is thought is, has like been created from a different point of view. So everything it's, must just look different. It's so bizarre because uh, you know we can have a long conversation about like wh- how how unique they are. But uh, I guess the one thing I'll say is that people are people wherever they are. Yeah. Uh, whether they mm-hmm. are in you know the U.S., whether they're in places that are oppressed, people just want the same things. They want people. They want their kids to grow up healthy. They want their kids to go to school. They want job. They want food. And while the world is at war. People generally just want the same thing. And so if we give them, uh, if we have grace with each other and allow us to like understand each other better, even these really complex, crazy places that sound like should be no-go zones allow us to really connect with our humanity. So that's that's the one thing I'll, I'll, I'll leave with that story. 
did you drink margaritas with the leader? I did not. But I'll tell you this: uh, the the you're only allowed to stay in one hotel in in Pyongyang, which is uh, for foreigners. And they have um, this 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 bar downstairs, and they had the best beer I've ever had in my entire life. And I'm like, how is that possible? And it's because way back in the 1950s, the East German communists would go to North Korea and they helped them develop these microbreweries. And so like these microbreweries still exist in Pyongyang and the beer was really delicious. Who did they? Oh, wow. That's wild. Dude, oh. so you know that there's cameras and all kind ki- like they're watching you sleep. <laughs> are they are they watching everything like are they in the, they're in the bathroom with you? how sophisticated they are with inside um you know the hotel rooms and stuff some of it is very very primitive um it's not developed in the way that we would see now in much of of, of the developed world it's very very primitive in a lot of parts of the country so i don't think they even think about like recording a lot of that stuff mm. how's uh, the food if I never have kimchi again in my life, it will be a day too soon. I, like I, love, I love me some kimchi. Really was it food. at every meal? It was at every meal. And I'll be very honest. It was, we have limited food and they hadn't really gone out of their way to provide us with food. Yeah. And so they really made an effort uh, because we were coming on behalf of an American organization. They wanted to show their best foot forward. And that was lovely, but we didn't have enough food. And there were days where, you know, I'd have like, a tea bag and my colleague who was on the same trip would have like an extra piece of toast. And I, and I barter, I'd say, Hey, I'll give you my tea bag for your extra piece of toast. And that's how we got, you know, through it. And, but for, for the North Koreans, this was like a huge luxury that they didn't even have these kinds of foods and they were like offering it to us. And so again, um, politics can really make people upset um, in ways that we think is crazy, but like on a, on an individual level, people really, try to do their best to help each other. And um, even on the food front. So we, we helped each other get through that week with sharing our food that we were able to even get, which most North Koreans would not have access wow. to. Wow. That is wild. I mean, that's what an experience. Very few people. Very few have. people. Very few people. Super cool. So I definitely want to get into the, like we were just talking about being humans. I definitely want to get into the AI human conversation. I want to know your past. Um, I want to know also about you. So you pronounce your name Keon. Keon. It's just <clears> like, it's just like Keanu Reeves with Keanu without the U. <laughs> but way cooler. Do you, have a, do you have an interesting story about that? <laughs> <laughs> so I always introduce myself to people. I'm like, my name is Keon Gohar, and when they can't pronounce it correctly, I'm like, it's like Keanu without the ooh. And then uh, I lived in L.A., um, and uh, a couple of years ago, I was at the Chateau Marmont with, for dinner with my family, and in walks in Keanu Reeves. And so, of course, I go up to him, and, and I introduce myself. I'm like, Keanu, my name is Keon. I always introduce myself as Keanu without the ooh. And just the look on his face was, like, very, very unamused. <laughs> <laughs> He's all, God, I love that story. I love that story. Imagine though you're Keanu, right? Like all day long, every single day, people come up with you with something they think is the, is an original, right? Like, that is pretty just, original though. I bet you yeah, heard that one. I, I bet you like that probably was, right? An, an actual original. But how often, like it's just like. He, it was just, it was, it was, it was wild. It was wild. Yeah, that is wild. 
So your history, your backstory is so interesting. Take us back. Um, well, you know, you can go to childhood if you want, but like, <laughs> <laughs> like, how did you get where you're at now? I know you have a killer story about that. So I've been an entrepreneur my whole life um, and um, starting companies, starting venture capital firms, running companies and lots of great chapters and stories, some of which succeeded and some of which didn't. Um, but I'll tell you about the most recent part. So about, um, well, actually, you know, I'll step back for a second. In, in 2011, I left my last entrepreneurial business, which was a startup in South Florida, making kite surfing equipment of all things. And it was uh, a, a wonderful company and group of people that I was with. And I had done it for five years and I needed a break to figure out what was next. So I bought a one-way ticket to, to Africa uh, and I spent six months trekking across um, uh, Africa from Cape Town to Cairo in a, in a truck and camping out every night in the tent. And um, this is a whole other story, which is super wild. But um, when I was in Northern Ethiopia, so just about five weeks away from the end of my destination, um, I got a text message from my brother saying, uh, dad passed away, please come home now. And um, my dad passed away in an accident. And so within 24 hours, I was back in LA where I'm from. And um, I ended up spending the next year taking care of family affairs. And I'd, after a year, I was like, okay, well, it's time to go build another company, figure out what to do next. And I ended up actually being introduced to a gentleman named Peter Diamandis, who is the, the founder and was the CEO of the XPRIZE Foundation, a technology nonprofit here in LA. And uh, we ended up getting along like a house on fire. Uh, and I know that's bad in the insurance world, but this is great in terms of <laughs> Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> he he invited me to to join uh, the XPRIZE Foundation and help them build a new business um, around uh, technology uh, education. So the XPRIZE is this amazing nonprofit in LA that uh, was founded in 1996 by Peter to basically solve this problem. The problem was how do we build a spaceship uh, that's privately funded and goes to outer space? Because up until then, only organizations like NASA, the European Space Agency, the Russian Space Agency had gone to space, and Peter wanted to democratize access to space travel. And so he launched this competition, $10 million, to whomever could build the first privately funded spaceship. And this competition went on for eight years, ultimately was won by um, a, a company that licenses technology to Richard Branson and is now Virgin Galactic. So the organization knows a ton about like innovation and exploration and like new technologies. And, and Peter wanted to basically uh, create a new way for the foundation to monetize and, and raise revenue by teaching companies about innovation. So I joined this foundation and for the better part of the next uh, decade, um, I was an executive director at the XPRIZE Foundation in LA, um, helping teach companies about these disruptive new technologies like artificial intelligence, robotics, 3D printing. This I got suddenly immersed in this world of deep tech and Silicon Valley that I had never really anticipated being in. And um, I did this very successfully, probably, I don't know, coached thousands of CEOs from companies all across the world uh, through this, this, this experience. And the lesson that I had um, by about 2017, 2018, was that if we're going to go live in a world where we work side by side with AI and with robots, the thing that actually will give us competitive advantage 
compared to technology is not whether we're good at being at AI, but rather if we are good at being humans and the kinds of skills that allow us humans to have competitive advantage, like emotional intelligence, complex problem solving, empathy, all those kinds of things, which we learn in kindergarten, but we kind of forget about by the time we get to adults. And so for the better part of the last five years, uh, my my firm, Geolab, does leadership development training, helping uh, teams become better at being more high productive by learning these soft skills and allowing us to really lean into what makes us uh, better humans, because that's all we got uh, when we as humans need to work side by side with AI in a very near future. I love it. What were you going to say, Craig? Walk me through uh, meeting with with somebody with a client that you're gonna you're gonna help with these things and something that's a train wreck. Maybe the opposite of that of that house fire that you had with 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 your <laughs> buddy that you met that was really challenging. And and how you what how you were able to to change the organization, change the thinking, and really just improve the the overall situation for them. Well, I'll give you. I don't want to give you a generic answer, but because for confidentiality, I can't go into details, but I, I need I'll, their phone number. Yeah, <laughs> let's dox them now. <laughs> um, you know, the, the reality is that like these new technologies that sound like science fiction, like AI and robots and spaceships, all of that is actually like reality now. And uh, organizations are using them to get better solutions to problems for themselves and their clients. The, the limitation I think a lot of companies have and a lot of organizations have and leaders have is that we're humans. We learn a certain way of, of doing things and then we want to keep repeating those certain way of doing things because it works. It's safe. But, and we default to those. And instead, we should be like going to the gym and learning new skills. Um, but we don't want to do that because nobody likes going to the gym. And so for a lot of companies, their leadership, their teams, they want to just keep doing work the way they've done for the last 20 years because that's how we've learned how to do it. And that's, you know, that's human behavior. But we have to stop and be like, okay, now we've got these new tools and new technologies. Should we be doing the same things we've done in the past or should we be doing it differently? And that's hard. And so my work with companies is helping teams learn these new behaviors of how to interact with AI and then also uh, how do we make sure that we as a team are um, really benefiting from that? And we're also leveraging those resources to solve human problems. And so yeah. my work is really that is like changing mindsets. That's the first step. And a lot of yeah. companies just don't even think about the mindset shift. That's like the most important thing. It's in, it's interesting how much has changed just in the last five years, right? Since COVID. Well, and you could go back to the internet and all that, right? Like just everything in the last 20 years has been so remarkably changed um, by technology. And here we are, you know, now there's this study with with the the brain cells being connected to the computer chip and it's actually carrying out functions. I mean, it's crazy, right? Like it literally is like the future from when we were kids, you know? So we, I mean, the future will never be as slow as it is today. And which is uh, wild, super wild. And so many, so many new technologies and inventions are happening. You know, there's a lot of noise. There's a lot of like overwhelming amount of information. Like, how do we live? And so I think, you know, our responsibility as leaders is to try to like minimize some of the noise and like reduce some of the hype 
and think about, okay, what are like the one or two or three things that are going to really transform the world and my world? And how can I make sure that the people that I care about are also uh, knowledgeable about these things so that we have like better lives? So, you know, one of the things that the technologies that's going to change everything is this idea of like genomics. Like how can we make sure that we can live healthier and longer beyond what has been human lifespan? You know, right now, the average lifespan in the U.S. is like some, some 80, 81, something like that. But children born today, their average lifespan will be 100 years old. Um, that's going to mean that we're going to have a lot more people living longer than uh, than we've been used to in human history. And that's going to have a whole lot of impacts. Like, for example, um, we're going to have a lot more people in the workforce longer. That's going to impact retirement and and social security benefits. And people are going to need like a lot, a lot more health care in the long term and elder care. And so all these things like actually have like dramatic impacts on us and our children and our, 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 our grandchildren, if we're lucky. And so this is a technology that's going to radically shift how we as humans live. And we individuals might not have like ability to change it, but we should be aware of it so that we can figure out what kind of path should we be taking to uh, live in this world where humans live a lot longer. And this is all because of these new technologies. That's just one example. I mean, we also know just even in the last year, new technology like generative AI has um, seemingly come out of nowhere, even though it hasn't been nowhere, it's been in the works for a long time, that right. like chat GPT that has totally transformed how we work and communicate. And, you know, we can talk about that as well, but um, I'm super excited about the future because I feel like these technologies allow us to democratize access to a lot of things that historically mm-hmm. people didn't have access to, whether it was education or healthcare. So these are all like, global goods that people will have access to because of these new technologies. And so I'm optimistic for, for the future, but there's just a lot of noise. There's a lot of things happening and we have to, we have to be very conscious about um, minimizing some of that noise so that we don't get distracted. Mm, well yeah. said. Yeah, so definitely. Data. Yeah. And there is a lot of noise about it. I, I think it's interesting. Like we, we were talking the other day about, about leads and sales and, and AI and just like, like all this stuff. <clears throat> and I think what is interesting to me is that even though that, you know, things are going to be more regulated and, and um, everybody has access to everything. I, I, I find it really interesting, uh, like that it's allowing David to compete with Goliath for the first time. Like, like a kid is going to be able to use AI to, um, uh, gain knowledge to to become a better athlete to you know build out a team where you know he can grow a company and maybe it's just him like like the idea of like solopreneurship or very small teams that are making big impact is so cool to me where it's like I see like in the future where the cor- the corporate model when you have all these layering of of uh, management and all this stuff I just see that kind of like that not having the advantage. Because it's too big and too just, ugh. And I mean, the modus operandi is is like is preserve and protect, right? Like, I have this job. I don't want to learn anymore. I don't want to advance. I'm good. I just want to protect my cubicle, right? Just yeah. Like no innovation, and it's going to die. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of like there's going to be only two kinds of companies in the future. Companies that use AI and dead companies. So, <laughs> and blockbuster. Right. 
which one do you want to be with, right? Right. And right. Um, to your point, Jason, about like solopreneurs and small teams and small companies being able to accomplish a lot more than was historically possible because those large companies, they had, um, they pooled their resources together, they pulled the people together and they were able to get like economies of scale and they were able to get like lower prices. And that's how they basically, you know, created these massive right. monopolies for decades. And now every entrepreneur, solopreneur has access to many of these similar tools that historically they would never have had. So, um, and I, I think it's important also to distinguish that the, the generation now, like younger than, than my generation, you know, the millennials and then the, the next younger one, have have had access to so much more information and knowledge that like we just didn't have right unless we want to ride our bike to the library and yeah right right so i mean these guys with with podcasts with everything just it's amazing my 18 year old son knows a hell of a lot more at 18 than i did at 18 right because of listening to podcasts listening to rogan consuming just various ways of information from um you know youtube and all the other non-traditional i mean just imagine like, you know, if you're an insurance dude, you run an agency, you have a small team and you want to grow and you have like a, let's say a regulated environment and it's hard to grow because you need to have more revenue to be able to hire more staff, but you can't really do that because it's like a chicken and egg problem. Right. So imagine if you can like yes. use these All AI. Real. Yeah. Imagine these like AI tools like ChatGPT to be able to to do a lot of the work more effectively, more efficiently, faster. Um, so for example, like I was working with a, a company earlier this year as part of this major research project we did on, on AI um, is to like, how could you use AI to identify like new revenue streams or to be able to identify leads much more effectively? And so you can actually use ChatGPT to solve a lot of those problems when you as a solopreneur would historically never be able to do. So like I can ask ChatGPT and say, you know, identify the top 10,000, you know, ways that I can find um, new leads or new clients in this particular market. And then I can use ChatGPT to think about, okay, if I want to grow my business 15% this year um, in this particular market with this particular product, what are the 10 recommendations that you can give to me that I can follow to be able to do that. And it's essentially Amazing, like yeah. this personal coach, business coach that you mm -hmm. can rely on that we've never had before. And so like to your point, Jason, yeah, like the, the David and Goliath story is changing and I'm much more interested in being on team David than I am on being on team Goliath now. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. I, I, I mean, <clears throat> we, we, uh, Craig and I both have agencies with a large, uh, corporate, uh, parent company and it's just like watching every the world go around the way it is. It's like it's interesting because, you know, I, I see so many uh, agents that are, you know, um, independent agents or something that have some access to tools that are just crazy, like crazy great. And uh, it's just interesting how how corporations are going to navigate some of this stuff just because they're just so layered. And I just can't imagine anything with how fast technology is moving how anything's going to get through in time to like, it's like the, it's the two opposing forces. It's like the slowest moving <laughs> industry when it comes to technology in a time when technology is moving faster than it ever has. And it's going to just keep taking off. Like, well, I mean, I think the obvious, like, 
like what normally happens in that situation? Yeah, we actually ended up working with a major insurance company this year that was super innovative and like wanted to lean in to uh, AI and these technologies. And so I think you have like in any industry, like a few people who really want to be like early adopters and are willing mm-hmm. to like experiment and to run like, you know, small tests and see what works. And then you have people who just are comfortable with milking the cow and until, you know, that's done. And maybe I think in the in- insurance industry, you have fewer people who are willing to, you know, be early adopters than maybe some in other, other industries, but they exist. And, you know, what I would say to folks who run agencies is identify just like one small problem that you have that you want to have a better solution to. And use that as a, as a starting point to have a conversation with AI, uh, like ChatGPT or whichever one you want to use, and ask it questions to help you solve that one problem. You're not going to become like AI fluent or AI conversationally like capable overnight. It's just like if you want to become you know an Olympic gymnastics champion, you don't do that overnight. You you practice. And so the way I recommend practicing is take a small bite, find one small problem that you have, and um, take that question to uh, ChatGPT and start having a conversation with it and asking it like, you know, how can I solve this problem? And eventually you'll start developing like the skills and feel more confident. And before you know it, you'll have maybe like five of those little small experiments that you've run. And you're now moving your business like a lot forward faster than than your competitors are. um, And certainly than some of the bigger players are. And so like, this is all eminently doable and learnable. And that's why I'm just so excited about it. It's, it's even possible to have as many as thousands of these projects working at the same time. Absolutely. If you're really crazy. <laughs> and <start> <laughs> questions and 